Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what dismantling Obamacare means in Mississippi and hear from one ACA user who is concerned. It's very difficult, and I'm trying to stay on and pray and hope I can uh, keep it because it, it works. And after StoryCorps, hear from a youth court judge who says a valuable rehabilitation tool is being eliminated because of state budget cuts. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians have until midnight to sign up for insurance under the Affordable Care Act, commonly known as Obamacare. In spite of a presidential executive order, advocates say nothing has changed regarding coverage for 2017. Opponents to the law are still pledging to work toward its repeal, but that would be unlikely to affect policies this calendar year. There are, of course, parts of the Affordable Care Act that have nothing to do with subsidized health insurance. For example, the law allows children to stay on their parents' insurance until age 26. It also guarantees policies will be available for those with pre-existing medical conditions. Roy Mitchell is with the Mississippi Home or excuse me, Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier about some other implications of dismantling Obamacare. For Mississippians, uh, nothing has changed. The, uh, the marketplace is still available to Mississippians. They have until January the 31st to take advantage of um, quality, affordable health coverage. Repealing it, what would that mean for the people who are currently insured under the ACA? I think it would be catastrophic for Mississippi's health care system. Um, for one, there's approximately 73,000 Mississippians who um, are currently enrolling in 2017 coverage, and um, uh, they receive subsidies, and they will not have access to affordable health care. Um, there's a wider population that I don't think most people are aware of. Um, in the private market, the ACA affords uh, guaranteed coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. And there's about 1.2 million uh, Mississippians who fall into that category. And I'm talking about uh, people with diabetes, people with asthma, people with cancer. Um, you know, we have... Uh, some high populations in this state with chronic disease. And if we repeal the ACA, I don't think people realize we're removing that guarantee of coverage for those populations. And also, uh, Mississippians in the private market uh, also get uh, free um, immunizations um, if they're, you know, uh, if they're covered, that it, it, it's there's uh, no deductible, no cost sharing for uh, preventive screenings for immunizations, and um, this is across the board. This is for adults, women, children, um, and uh, we could see that removed as well if the ACA is repealed. Are there any other benefits that may appear to be even more remote 
um, that are connected to the ACA? Just generally speaking, I mean, Mississippi has seen a, uh, a decline in the uninsured population of to the tune of about 25% of our population, meaning 25% people now in Mississippi, 25% of the population now have coverage as a result of the ACA. Our hospitals have seen um, a 25% decrease in uncompensated care. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's another aspect that I don't think most people take into account. And I think those those two figures just, you know, they're just a few couple of indicators of the ripples that we'll th- see through the whole health care system if the ACA is repealed. Roy Mitchell of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. Barbara Davis is a church custodian in Jackson. The 57-year-old suffered for 10 years with a respiratory condition she couldn't diagnose because she couldn't afford to see a doctor. After buying health coverage through the Affordable Care Act, her doctor was able to diagnose her chronic illness. It was asthma, which is now under control. Davis even qualified for a subsidy to help pay her premiums. But as she explains to our Desiree Frazier, she found that part a little bit confused confusing at first. It was very um, misunderstanding about how it worked because I thought it was something I was going to have to pay. I thought it was a penalty that I was going to have to pay. And then after the young lady sat down and explained it to me and she was saying that um, I get this and I said, oh, okay, well, um, let's put it all towards the insurance. And so that helps you pay your premium? It does. How much is your premium, if I may ask? This year it's gonna be one ninety five. When I first enrolled, it was sixty four cents. Wow! Yeah, and I was so excited when after we finally got through, and she was letting me know you was approved, but you only had to pay sixty four cents. I said, "You are kidding me! Oh, that's so amazing! Look at God!" She was saying, "Yeah, sixty four cents. Are you sure?" And she kept saying yes. And um, I, I stayed on there for for two years. And I guess when my increase increased it, um, it went up to $84. So from $0.64 cents to $84 to $195. $95. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that the increase is difficult to meet? It is. It's very difficult. And I'm trying to stay on and pray and hope I can uh, keep it because it, it works. What would it mean if you lost your insurance, if you could no longer afford it or it was repealed? I wouldn't be able to continue with my doctor care, like I stated, I'm an asthma patient. And I would not know what to do if something happened, if I have an asthma attack and I can't get my medication and and I cannot see the doctor. Um, it was devastating me. Um, I would be worried all the time. So it's very important to have insurance. It's very, very, it's a key element, especially when you can afford the insurance. That's the important part. You can afford the insurance, and it works. So that's the best part for me. It would be a big, big uh, disappointment if something happened to the insurance. Uh, I wouldn't know what to do or where to go. What was it like before you had insurance? Well, um, I kept trying to doctor on myself and and stay sick all the time, kept an upper infection. And then upper I, respiratory infection? Yes, and I couldn't understand why I kept having a, a upper infection. And finally, uh, when I got the chance to get on the insurance, she sent me to an asthma specialist, and, and that's when I found out. So 
it would be devastated if I lose her. It really would. So you didn't know you had asthma before you signed on with ACA? No, I did not. I did not. I just thought I could, kept getting sick. Uh, my chest was always tight. Um, you know, I didn't understand what was going on. And and since then, she, she took me to the specials. And we, we had checks, x-rays, and we went through a lot of tests, and, and that's when they determined it. That I do have it. How long did you live like that? How many years? Oh, for what, 10 years like that? Just back and forth trying to take medicine across the counter and trying to heal myself. And I was not doing such a good job and stayed sick all the time and couldn't understand why. And uh, when I walked into her, she was like, Well, Ms. Davis, what you've been doing all this time? I said, Just been trying to take medication. It'll go away, come back for three months, and it'll go away and come back another three months. And just been struggling. Just, just been struggling. Barbara Davis of Jackson. We also heard from Roy Mitchell of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. Find out why one Mississippi judge says an important rehabilitation tool is being taken away from her because of state budget cuts. That's coming up after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. When Mississippians enter the StoryCorps booth, sometimes the stories they have to share are difficult ones. That's the case here. Audie Welsh is talking to her daughter, Karen, and they're talking about when relationships turn bad and about the strength it can take to leave. I married Mark when I was 18 years old. I mm-hmm. met him. We, we dated actually for three years before we married. I met him at 14. 14? You yeah, never told we, me that. <laughs> we, dated, we dated for three years and... Mm-hmm. uh. We got married, and my relationship with Mark was very, very good. I love Mark very much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, life, people change. We change. Mm-hmm. And um came to a point where Mark was not good for me. Mark was very dominant, and I'm a real strong-willed person. Mm-hmm. And for someone to be that dominant over you, it's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I really, I think the main reason you're, you're Mark and I are not together is because I didn't want my children raised in a home mm-hmm. with such a dominant person. My relationship with my mother was all about love. It wasn't right. about, you know, being dominant right. over someone. And, like I, and I remember, you know, what I do remember of Dad, that I was always afraid. Right. I was always afraid of doing something wrong. And we were all under this cloud. It felt like to me as a child that we were all under a cloud of fear, including you. It It felt like Mark did suppress that confidence and self-love that you had and you know that relationship was 13 years long it was it was a long one how did you manage to get through that time having somebody so well at the very beginning it wasn't Mm -hmm. like that right but then when it turned to where the relationship was not good anymore Mm -hmm. i was never ever going to live up to anything that he had set goals for me mm-hmm. and i knew it would be like that with the children i guess what really made me be able to walk out of that relationship because i didn't i did not want my children to grow up in that atmosphere right it was you poisonous know? i don't know how much you know about how we felt but it was poisonous we were always afraid 
Well, I I didn't I didn't know how y'all felt, but I was I felt that a lot stronger than y'all did. Right, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. and it took a lot for me to overcome what he mm-hmm. had, the way he treated me mm-hmm. those years. It's just by the grace of God. I still think that it has a bit of a legacy on you and the way you feel about yourself. Just that whole toxic situation. Well, everything, everything in life is going to mm-hmm. mold you to who you are. Right. Everything you do. From mm-hmm. the day you're born to the day you go to, you know, be mm-hmm. with the Lord. They are molding you to the person you grow, you know, I mean, you are. Right. But if I never met Mark, I wouldn't be the person I am now. Right. So I don't regret ever marrying your Mark. Right. I never regret that. Like I said, that's the reason I'm who I am now. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Well, first of all, I just wanted to let you know that at, now that I'm a grown-up, I just want to say I really respect the strength that you found to leave Mark because I know after having my own child and being in my own toxic relationship that um, it takes a lot of strength when you have three children and not a lot of education to walk away from that, not knowing how you're going to take care of your kids. So I just want you to know that I really admire that strength and I hope that I have the same Well, you know, strength comes from how you're raised. I mean, when Mm -hmm. I was, my mother... I never felt insecurity. I never felt, mm-hmm. I knew that nothing was ever going to happen to me because she was there. She was my secure. Mm-hmm. She was my security. And then I had that in me. And then your dad just, just kind of tore that down. You did. But it is still within, it was still within me. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I, I know that I've instilled within my children is that you go after your dreams. Mm-hmm. You succeed at them. Mm-hmm. And the great greatest thing that I could really pass on to my children is love right you know the love unconditional love family love just love mm-hmm. but you got to go after your dreams if you don't you you, you hadn't reached for anything you know to hear more of our conversations from the story mobile tour go to mpbonline.org the story mobile tour visited mississippi through a partnership with the mississippi humanities council the mpb foundation and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi youth court judge says recent state budget cuts are limiting the tools she has to keep young people out of detention. The Mississippi Department of Human Services is eliminating what it says is a $500,000 contract with an electronic monitoring company that provides ankle monitors for youth in 10 counties. Judge Margaret Alfonso of the Harrison County Youth Court says the monitors are important. She explains to MPB's Ezra Wall. As a Youth court judge, uh, use of ankle monitors has been a important tool in our effort to rehabilitate juveniles who are charged with what we call delinquent acts, which would be uh, crimes if committed by adults. You know, I still want to talk about rehabilitation, but I'm quickly losing the tools uh, to make rehabilitation a real goal. Um, Ankle monitors was one of those tools, were one of those tools that have been so important to teach children what it feels like to be confined and at the same time 
allowing them to continue their educations if they're fortunate enough to have jobs to continue with their jobs. Um, so ankle monitors, the ankle monitor uh, program has been vital to our goal of rehabilitating these children. A child under the ankle monitoring program essentially would not be incarcerated, but instead would be wearing a device that allows their location to be monitored uh, 24 hours a day? Exactly. But what comes with the ankle monitor is a court order which says you are to be in your home or at school or at a doctor's appointment, etc. Not only do we monitor their whereabouts, but it comes with a court order that defines the zone or space where they're to be. And how many people are a part of this program at any given time? Well, we had uh, 12 ankle monitors, and what is so uh, confusing about this whole situation is just a few weeks ago, I was told that um, Harrison County, uh, that's the county that I serve, was going to have an increase in our ankle monitors, something that we have been requesting but because the program has been so useful to us. So we went from being excited about being awarded uh, additional ankle monitors about two weeks ago to now learning in one phone call last Friday afternoon that not only are we not getting more, but we've completely lost uh, the program. So what, what happened to that, that funding? Is that due to the recent uh, round of state budget cuts, or is it due to projections about the next, next fiscal year? All I was told that it had to do with the recent budget cuts. Talk about what that means to the families that are involved in, in, the, in the program. How are they af- affected? The youth that are already part of the program, I guess they, the only option is to uh, put them in detention? We hope that that won't be the only option because detention is very expensive um, to detain children. And conversely, the child, although is provided an education at detention, it's certainly not the same as the child in the child's uh, school setting. In, in actual dollars and cents, how, how much does it cost to have a child on the ankle monitor program over the course of like a month or a year or however that cost is calculated? $10 a day. $10 a day and versus, versus the housing and feeding and uh, medical care of a child who's uh, a, a, a resident in a government facility of some kind? And our county, our, our county detention facility, the cost is far greater, and you're exactly correct. Not only is the child in detention, uh, but the taxpayers paying for housing, we have to provide medical for them as well. Medical is very costly for children in detention. We're also required to provide them an education. So the public school, um, Biloxi Public Schools provides a teacher. You have to look at the big picture of what children uh, require in detention. We've been speaking with Judge Margaret Alfonso, who's a youth court judge in Harrison County. Judge Alfonso, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Judge Alfonso confirmed she was told by the company providing the monitoring service that it costs $10 per day per youth. The State Department of Human Services disagrees, saying the monitors are part of an annual $500,000 contract. MDHS says the average cost per day last year was about $38 per youth. Human Services Deputy Executive Director Garrick Shields talks more about why the cuts were necessary. After we received the last round of budget cuts, uh, we had to take a look at what was being funded with pure state dollars. 
and because that you know we were obviously cut on the state level and so we had to take a look at what was being funded with state dollars and with us traditionally that's our youth services and aging and adult services programs and so we have to look where the state dollars are going first to be able to uh, decide where we have to cut when we do receive a cut you know of course we look at contracts first versus um you know trying to send workers home state employees home um, and that, you know, this was something that was, uh, we looked at and looked at the amount and the amount versus the amount we were being cut and, uh, you know, and the scope of what we were paying for, um, was a, a large part of the reason. So how many youth in, in the youth court statewide, how many, how many, uh, youth were part of the monitor program or, or how many youth will this affect? Last year, there were 435 youth that were you know, affected, I guess, by the ankle monitoring program that had ankle monitors. So by eliminating the program, what's the cost savings? The yearly contract was $500,000. And so, like I said, last year we had 435 uh, kids. And, they, you know, that was roughly $40. A $38 a day is what the is what we were roughly paying. And that was for 30 days, using the 30-day limit on the ankle monitors. You know, there were some that were, you know, averaged out to be more than that. So $30 a day per youth on average? Yeah, $38. $38 a day per youth, so almost $40 a day per youth. Now, a, a youth court judge that I talked to said that that uh, her cost was $10 a day per youth. That's not accurate? Uh, n- no, that is not. Not unless she has an ankle monitoring program that, you know, we're not aware of that she uses outside of, of what we're paying for. Well, no. When, when I talked to her, um, she indicated that it was uh, that it was a, a, a DHS employee or, or perhaps a youth services employee, which also I think falls under the heading of your agency, who yeah. called her and told her the program was being eliminated. So she definitely was talking about uh, a DHS program. Just so you're aware, in, in the rest of it, we only serve ten counties under that contract. Okay. Any other any other counties that have an ankle monitoring program are funded by the county um, because counties can choose to fund it or not. A lot of them have picked up over the years, picked up the tab and decided to fund that out of their county dollars. The judge that I spoke to said a main alternative or a possible alternative to monitoring is detention. You've, you've indicated that this is intended at least primarily as a, uh, a stopgap to help get the kids to their first court appearance. Um, she seemed to indicate, though, that that this was a means of maybe help, maybe through a program like this, help, helping certain youth avoid detention in the first place. Her her assertion is that it costs a lot more financially and in terms of the long term emotional impact to have a youth incarcerated than it does to put them on a monitor program. And and that was one of the main concerns that she raised. Can you speak to either of those aspects, either the cost of incarcerating a youth uh, or or the the um, potential long-term effect of incarceration versus monitoring? Yeah, so, you know, that incarceration isn't the only option without the ankle, the ankle monitoring system. You know, we our youth service counselors I really act as, sort of a, a parole officer, so to speak, you know, they physically go visit the child, you know, even if he's in, if he's in detention center or if he is at home, our youth service counselors go out and actually check on the kids and, uh, and, and make sure that they're and check, go to school and make sure that they're there. Um, even though there are truancy officers, um, you know, they, they make those visits. So the ankle monitoring without them, it's not the only other option is the detention center. That's just not really the case. You know, and but as far as the cost of a detention center goes, 
it, those are funded with county dollars. So we don't have, we don't, we, I personally do not know the amount that it takes for a child to spend the night in the detention center. But, you know, it, again, so there are a lot of other alternatives that ankle monitor or put the child in, in the detention center. So from the judge's perspective, it might be, it, it, it might be one option looks more expensive than the other, but from the state perspective, one one may be occurring with state dollars and the other occurring with county dollars. So it, it, it could definitely be a cost savings to the state. Yes. The main reason that we chose to, or, you know, had to pull the funding obviously was because we were cut state dollars. The reason we chose this program is because of the, the amount, you know, we were paying a large amount for a minimal return, basically, is what, it was our intention behind having to uh, defund that project. Uh, Gary yeah. Shields, the Deputy Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Listen tomorrow at 830 for the next show.